Welcome to the Nerd Crusade podcast, uh, where we talk about anything nerdy that we like to talk about this week. Uh, we're talking about uh, some movies and some TV. I'm joined today with Courtney. We're going to be talking about uh, The Menu, uh, Willow, Last of Us, and maybe a few other things that come to mind if they come up. But uh, basically, we're going to start uh, with The Menu. Uh, we already have a review of this kind of on the webpage. Um, but like I said, in that review, we didn't really spoil anything. We probably will try not to spoil anything here. Um, just cause we think it's a good movie that you should just go ahead and watch. Um, the menu, uh, is considered a horror satire is at least how it's listed in HBO, but it's something that I would say is definitely not a horror movie. It's not a horror satire. It's not scary by any means. It's not over the top bloody or gory. Um, it's kind of a thriller mystery, and the mystery is kind of something that you find out as you go along with the uh, movie. What did you think of it, Courtney? I really like the menu. I love the thriller aspect of it. I didn't think of it as a horror, a traditional horror film. So with it being labeled as a black comedy horror, I think is a little misleading and might turn some people off but it's definitely not your traditional horror or black comedy it's a thriller mystery for sure yeah so the menu takes place on a private island with a uh, select uh, in group of individuals who are invited to a gourmet dinner by this super famous chef um the thing is, is that it becomes very clear that all these people were handpicked and deliberately chosen to dine on um, this specific night. The only thing is that the person that we're following, our protagonist, is a last-minute kind of guestless change. Uh, her date that she was going with was gonna, had someone else in, to go with, but then they broke up, so he ta- he took her instead. So the whole time during the mis- the mystery you're trying to find out is why the chef is upset that she's there and why is she really there and why is it such a big deal? And it kind of unfolds throughout the night, which breaks down to be very interesting. It's a hard movie to talk about because we don't want to spoil anything because it really is a movie that's best to just go in and watch as is without with very little information because it's a cool story that unfolds. Yeah, and it's very food porn heavy. So if you love looking at beautiful food, you will love this movie. Even if you are just a novice food connoisseur, you'll still appreciate all the food that's presented. And especially if you've worked in any type of service industry, I think you'll have a great appreciation for this film as well. Yeah, and like the, the food imagery, like some of it's pretentious because it's supposed to be a pretentious well, restaurant. So there's like the bread course that's just like oils and dips, <laughs> which the guy's trying to make a point about. And then there, but like the scallop dish, like it looks all fancy. It's presented with them putting tweezers, taking tweezers, putting things on it, like it is exact spot. So, like, if you like Top Chef or, like, any of those cooking shows where, like, they are immaculate with how they plate food, that's, like, what they're talking about, what she's talking about there. Well, a lot of these dishes that are in this film, uh, I forget exactly which uh, Michelin star chef uh, helped curate these dishes, 
but a lot of these dishes are based off of different restaurants from around the world that are Michelin star as well, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, so the satire that I think is why it's labeled that way that it gets is that a lot of people will probably kind of misunderstand is that the... Some people might misunderstand is, it. Is the guest list, right? Like the people in the guest list are kind of satires of different groups of people who love restaurants. Like you have a foodie who is the protagonist's date. You have... Uh, the critic. You have the... Uh, your regulars. You have uh, a celebrity and his assistant. And then you have business people who are like... They're just... Investors. Investors. You just have money to go to a fancy restaurant like this. Um, and like I said, the whole point of this movie is just a good movie to watch, just to kind of see how it unfolds. Um, there might be more detail in, in our review on the webpage, so go check that out on nerdcrusade.com. Um, but if you have HBO Max, definitely go ahead and watch that. If you don't, feel go ahead and rent it on video on demand. It's available just about everywhere. Uh, really good movie. I say definitely check it out. It's worth a watch, and you'll definitely enjoy it. Um, I don't think there's much more we can say about it without spoiling it. So we don't yeah, it's detail. really hard. Um, but it's a, it's definitely a must watch. It's one of the I don't I don't think it's like an Oscar winning movie or the best movie of the year, but it's definitely a movie worth watching. And don't be turned off by the fact that it's called a dark comedy or a horror because it's not scary. It's not laugh out loud funny. And it's um, not gore. And it's not gore. Yeah. So I think anybody of all ages can actually watch this movie to some extent. Uh, with some parental guidance, obviously. Um, the next big thing that we finished watching up a couple weeks ago was The Willow Show. Which is kind of interesting because it's a show that we've been watching. And it's like, it's clearly young adult adventure. Yeah, it seems like it is trying to gear towards more of the teenager and early 20s kind of youth. Just from the dialogue and... Uh, how the characters are presented. Yeah, because it honestly goes from the very beginning of that show being more like, hey, the original Willow where <clears throat> you're in this fantasy world. It's continuing off from the universe that the movie Willow left off with. But the movie Willow left off with, like that movie was very steeped in, all right, you're in this fantasy land. They have their language there or whatnot. It's not very modern. Nobody's like really cussing or saying much. But like in this... As the show goes on, it gets more and more into that area of the kids are just talking like people do talk today, which gets kind of weird. Um, it takes you out of it, really. A little bit, but I think there's only one episode that's really bad. The rest of it kind of comes together after that, and it's very clear that what happens because it's a different director directing episodes when that one hits. But basically, um, it's on Disney Plus. It's if you're a fan of the original Willow movie, it's it's still decent. Um, cause I think it hits enough of the nostalgia for the folks of us who grew up with Willow and then it's uh, fresh enough for the people who've never seen it before. They did stick with, like, think that things were good. Like the costume aesthetics of the villains were done really mm -hmm. well. Very practical with the mixed CG stuff in there, but the CG the stuff wasn't, he wasn't yeah. heavy. And the monster design is done really well as, as well. Um, and they also bring back a lot of the, uh, older characters too which was nice yeah the obviously missing note is val kilmer as mad american but that's obviously because he can't do much with acting at the moment um because of his medical issues but 
Um, I think they played off well where like Mad Morgan's just kind of like, is like uh is has is gone missing. missing. Um, so we don't know exactly what's happened to him. That's kind of the mystery that they're trying to find out. But the main plot of the story is basically they following Mad Morgan's kids. Like he had two kids. Um. And one of them gets kidnapped by the evil crone and her minions, which are these really cool three little monsters. Guys, like, one's a giant guy with, like, a cage around his head. There's a crow, one that kind of turns into a bird, and a dude with a whip. Yeah. That well, he's kind of like a a magician-type mage, type mage character, but with a weapon, which is kind of nice to see. Yeah. Um, and the designs on them are all done really, really well. So the prince gets kidnapped, and so basically... Sorsha, the queen, ends up sending her daughter, who wants to go after him, um, her daughter's protect- protector, and... Daughter's uh, fiancé. Yeah, yeah, daughter's fiancé, who uh, is from another kingdom, because they're about to get married to join the kingdoms of normal, like, medieval stuff. And then uh, a guy who was traveling with Mad Mardigan, who's been in prison since, he's came, since he came back without Mad Mardigan, he goes along with them. Kind of as like the seasoned adventurer to kind of make sure the kids don't get too screwed over, even though they're all trained. Well, because they're going behind the veil. And the veil is this protective barrier around their land that separates their kingdom basically from the rest of the world, it looks like. Yeah, we're not told why um, the veil was created other than to keep evil out, but we don't know like... Because outside the veil, it looks like the regular world, basically. Yeah, that's where uh, Willow and his people live, are on the other side of the veil. <laughs> uh, yes, they're on the other side of the veil, because they had to go... Were they on the other side yes. of the veil? Yes. They were, okay. So yes. they crossed the veil and then found Willow. Yeah, that's right, because a lord, <laughs> they found, a lord was with them when they found Willow. Yeah. And then there's, like, the prince's girlfriend, which is kind of pseudo-girlfriend. It's the girl that he's, he's flirting with and hanging out with, who's, like, just a maid in the castle. Who goes and runs off and follows them as they leave? Turns out that girl is Alora Denon from the first movie, who they be basically the baby. dyed her hair blonde and didn't tell her about her magical powers. The queen wouldn't let Willow train her uh, because they felt like if she wasn't magical, then she wouldn't be in danger and uh, and no evil would come to find her because she wouldn't be an issue. <clears throat> but throughout, basically, she they go and. Meet Willow. He trains her. They're off to go search for uh, the prince. The prince. Um, and, and they and they basically kind of have their little adventure. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it only gets thrown off the rails at one episode where supposedly the raiders running around who are, which have a cool backstory. They're, they're the slaves that worked for Bad Morta in the original film. The people who were following Bad Morta were all slaves that she had freed, um, and so they pledged allegiance to her. And then they all were scattered after she was killed. And so they're, they're just kind of raiders running around. But it turned out that, you know, they're running around because Sorsha and them and the New Kingdom didn't accept them. They're just considered the enemy, right? Didn't look at what the circumstances were. Um, but, like, that whole episode is, like, a complete pause in the action. It's very CW feeling. Yeah, because like they go from doing character development, character development. Yeah, somebody's after Alora. They almost capture her. They're trying to. They go back to the the uh, castle where uh, Bad Morda was defeated. Um, you get some backstory on this prince from the Southern Kingdom who apparently was possessed by some demons at one point and accidentally killed his brother. 
Um, it plays out, and that stuff plays out fine, but then it goes to the next episode where, or the episode ends with, like, okay, the creatures are there, and they're ordered to, like, go and get the girl. And kill everyone else. kill everyone else. And then, you know, you know it's bad writing when you go to the next episode, and our heroes are running away, and they're like, it's in the middle of the fight. We have no idea how the fight started, how the ambush happened, why the ambush didn't work. They're just running around, fighting the monsters, and then the monsters go away. And then they end up in the woods with the raiders and find out that one of them is related to them and then they just have a party and it's like very he said cw very out of character and very like well you don't start off a sequ- sequence with an action scene that makes no sense and then just go off to other shit and then they then you end it with oh they're getting captured by trolls now yeah it's it's I... a wasted episode just to show that one character who we don't really need to know is related to the raiders yeah. And it's a, do- a daughter, a child of Van Morda's Black Knight, Kale, who uh, Van Morgan kills in the movie. Which, like, yeah, all the lore kind of connects, but it's like, I don't need that. She could have just been an, a random knight that was hired to, to, you know, protect the queen's daughter. That's fine. Yeah. We don't need all the backstory there. Um, but what I think was interesting is that as you hear us talking about this, it doesn't sound like this short. It sounds like... It's any other, like, teen-focused uh, fantasy drama like Shandora or Teen Wolf or any of those CW shows that are, like, they throw a bunch of dumbass teenage drama in the middle of it. Which, I said, like, there's that one episode that they feel feels like they do. Then after that, they, they kind of go back to business. Like, okay, let's, we got to move the venture along. Yeah, because the next two to three episodes wrap up the season really well. And it does kind of leave you feeling like you want more, which with the uh, ending sequence, it does show three books. So for like three seasons. Yeah, volume one, two, and three. And volume one gets put away, basically. Yeah. So what's also cool about this show is they do something else that is kind of cringy, but actually I think it works well. And I think it's really cringy in that episode five or six where they're in the Raiders Village. Because the whole mo- whole episode has nothing but this music. But basically, like, they play out this, the episode, and the episode ends with um, an art rendition of the scene, basically. And then they start playing a new arrangement of, like, a classic 90s rock song or something. And the arrangements are done pretty well, and it works and it wor- works really well. Except we have a whole episode where it's nothing but that music the whole time. Then you're like, okay, we get it. You found, a, you found rock bands to cover really good rock songs. Okay move on i didn't think the new rendition of the music worked that well it gave that cheese factor that a lot of fantasy movies and film have where they'll have like this weird love song power ballad at the end for the credits like in stardust that's what it felt like to me and uh, i was always kind of slightly cringed at the end when see, they i didn't started. think that at all i didn't think it was out of the blue ah. it's like stardust like the credits start you're like what the fuck is this this doesn't fit the entire movie the end, i felt oh, like the black hole episodes i'm like okay i felt like the black hole sun uh arranger that was done really slow instead of fast was really done well and some of the other music was done well the training montage had like newer rock music which is like it's decent song but it's like yeah you're turning into kind of like a teeny bopper show there um but as far as like the lore willow goes i think it did really well um except for like the cameos like the brownie cameo is one episode and they absolutely do nothing they're just there 
And then they go about, and then Will and them go about their they way. They only had him for a day, Ian. What can I say? Yeah. They couldn't afford him, allegedly. Whether that's the case or not, it's just basically like they had nothing for the actor to do except have a few lines reminisce and then move on to the story. But like the lore is cool that, hey, there were no more sorcerers left except for Willow because there's the fairy one, then there was um, the chick that he gave the wand to in the movie who eventually died, and the fairy. Uh, sorceress help make the barrier and then they're gone so it's just willow who feels inadequate being called the last sorcerer because he did a, a magic a, trick a sleight of hand magic trick to <laughs> defeat bad more he didn't use some sorceress spell but as they go on their journey to the fractured city or the mortal city across the fractured sea you get to see that lord dana gets her starts getting her powers understands uh, how to fight with sorcery um the uh Prince who's supposed to be the prince's fiance, uh, realizes that he can use magic as well, which was uh, kind of a cool revelation to actually make him useful instead of being an idiot pining for Alora's heart, which is really annoying. It's like, dude, she's clearly here to go after some other dude, which in the long run, you're like, nobody wants her to hook up with the prince anyway because it's, we don't know if he's really convicted for her anyway. Yeah, it seems like a very much playboy and a blouses kind of guy. Yeah, because he's. He's definitely wearing, like, the blouses and has the flamboyancy of Mad Mardigan when he's, like, flirting. Uh, where the daughter's more the tomboy and ends up, is in love with her protector, who, um, I think their acting was done both really, really well. Oh, yeah. Um, all throughout. And the storytelling for the lore and where they're going was cool. It was cool to see more of the world. It was cool to see um, the mortal city uh, that was, like, destitute where, where the mm-hmm. crone was from and hear and that... The- Fractured sea yeah. and the little sea mud guppy that pulls them along. Yeah. It's really cute. The coolest things about this were like in the background and not in the foreground. So hopefully if they do a season two, they do more of the world and you get to see more monsters and more magic, I guess. Yeah, I think the, the whole point of this was like they had to build characters to get people like like the characters that were there and then they basically had to also show off the villain which the villain is the concept of there's this deity the worm who wants to (laughs) supposedly bring peace to the world but peace to the world is death and destruction and everything under his rule um which the crone is just a witch who's trying to get that to happen um but it's cool to see, okay, here's the real there's there is a real villain entity out there. They set up a villain for the next season, uh, which was kind of obvious to see what that was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Um but well, like again, I said, the adult type show. <laughs> yeah, and again, like I said, the cool stuff is always kinda in the background and like and that's kinda how Willow was, where like you had your story of Going on an adventure, protecting this baby from some evil witch who wanted to transport to another dimension, yada, yada, yada. But you had the cool uh, designs for, like, the dogs that uh, look like giant rats where they just put a muzzle and um, a tail on top of Rottweilers and let them run around. Was yeah. it or was it Dobermans? There's Rottweilers. And oh, then okay. You had, like, the Well, trolls. they were back again. <laughs> yeah, and then you had the trolls uh, yeah. who, in this show, they're no longer, like, running around mon- monkeys are more since they've been like taking some they've been mining something that made them stronger and smarter they're now all like soft voiced and polite yeah uh, some people didn't guards. like it but i i, I thought, thought they it was were a nice like added 
comedy. Yeah, I thought it was, it was fun too. And like the cool things in Willow were also in the background, like the troll dragon that they fight at the castle in the movie. That's one small sequence. Uh, you do see that thing again at the ending sequence. So then they show like the army of, of the, the worm. worm. There's that troll, the troll dragon in the background. Um, so it'd be cool to see. Hopefully they go continue on with it. And we get to see more of, hey, here's the troll. Here's more of these cool practical effects that they use because a lot of the costuming of everything is all practical. None of it um, is really CG. They use CG for effect for like transitioning effects of like the one the monster monsters changing from monster to bird to like some of the action sequences and the magic obviously but you're not seeing a ton of uh cg models of characters being used or or the armor's all cg i hate that (laughs) yeah because like yeah there's the curse that they get that they finally activate at the end and that cg done there actually looks really good and yeah um, but they're obviously not using... Then she has practical armor. armor on, when... yeah. But it's obviously... It's not like Avengers CG where, like, they're all wearing motion capture all... suits and, like, apparently everything's CG. Um, but it's cool to see the practical effectness that they use to build into that. And they're, so they're sticking true to using practical effects like Willow originally did mm-hmm. instead of relying on a lot of CG stuff. And sets and... Yeah. Uh, being outside in the actual woods, which is nice to see. There's a Christian Slater cameo, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Like, I don't that know. That was during the troll episode, so. Yeah. There was I guess a... it was kind of a trolling episode. I guess so, yeah. Because they're trying to. Because <laughs> he came off saying, I'm Mad Marty. You're like, well, that's not Mad Marty again. Um, <laughs> but he, he was with the venturing group, and I guess he got imprisoned while uh, the other guy escaped um, and is now venturing with our main group. And he's basically there for comic relief because he's the one cracking all the jokes, but he's also. The only like seasoned warrior there, other than the uh, princess's guard. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think it's a good show. I would watch season two to check it out to see how where they go with it. Hopefully, they get greenlit for season two. <clears throat> I don't know how well the show is received. I know a lot of people seem to like be met on it, just because, um, like I said, it has some of that CW vibe. It's definitely a young adult adventure, not just in a fantasy adventure. Which Willow, I don't feel like was made for children it wasn't made for adults it's just here's a fantasy adventure and if you like fantasy you liked willow yeah willow just kind of focused on hey here's little people we're gonna actually use little people actors which they do again which is freaking great yeah the funny thing is, is uh warwick davis who plays willow in the original <laughs> movie he's 17 yeah he's 17 years old as an actor but nobody really knows that because we don't know what a 17 year old little person looks like I wonder if little people watch them. He's like, why does this kid have two children and a wife already? Because <laughs> like we would notice if a seventeen-year-old is playing a husband, far- farmer of uh, hus- a husband and father of two on who has own land. Yeah, and the like, kids are clearly like, oh, they're supposed to be about five and six years old or five and eight. <clears throat> yeah, so it's like, I, I always I've been wondering back in my like, did the little people community like see him and realize, yeah, that's a seventeen-year-old kid. Uh, playing an adult, where regular people, I guess we we didn't notice that because it, he doesn't look like he's seventeen to me in that, and here he doesn't look like he's as old as he is either. Um, but he does a amazing, a good job re redoing the Willow character and showing how he's grown and all that. Sorsa and adding a lot of his like newer flaws too, which is great. 
Yeah, and the fact that like Willow didn't grow up to think he's a ba- he's, he's like a badass badass sorcerer, <laughs> when in his mind he's always dying like, well, I didn't really defeat Ben Moore. I just pulled a little dr- a little stupid trick, and fooled her. Hey man, it worked. He <laughs> won in the in the end. That's all that matters. Yeah, but like I think the callbacks enough to the nostalgia stuff in it was good enough for, um, the people who like the original. They got the concept that. Eric the Prince is named after Matt Morgan's friend Eric, who dies in the movie. Um, the Kale, the Children of Kale thing made sense, but like if you don't know it or you don't watch the original movie, you wouldn't care anyway. Well, but- I think they also do a good enough explanation of everything throughout the episode when they bring that up too. True, but I also feel like again, it's another. It was background on a character that we didn't really need that background. That character didn't need that backstory. We'll see if it comes to any fruition later on, but I seriously doubt it would. Um, it was just a filler. It felt like a real filler episode. Yeah. Um, but after that, like I said, the action kicks back off. The finale was pretty decent, and I'm interested to see where it goes. So hopefully, like I said, it got greenlit and we see it again. Agreed. Okay. The other show we're going to talk about is uh, just one episode's come out so far. Uh, it's called The Last of Us. Based off of a video game that came out, I think, in 2016 or 17. Oh, a little earlier than that. Oh, maybe. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, the original one on PS3. Yeah, so it was maybe um, what PS3 was. So it was probably before 2013. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's been re-released so many times. It got re-released on PS4 in the mid-teens and that... And they're doing, they just did another, or about to do another re-release on the PS5, mm-hmm. uh, either this year or next year or something like that. It's about making that money, just like Skyrim. You know, you got to put it on 50 different uh, appliances and consoles, so yeah, make that money while you can. So HBO uh, are the creators behind this. They made, they picked uh, Pedro Pascal to be Joel, who fits the role fairly well. Um, forget the name of the girl who's playing Ellie. Uh, but technically, like, they're both from Game of Thrones. Uh, she's one of the... She was a, technically a princess, I think, in Game no, of Thrones. No, she was Lady... Uh, what is it? Uh, some royalty, yeah. She was a lady or something. Yeah, it's from the North. Giant. Oh, gosh. Well, she was the badass little girl yeah. from Game of Thrones that everyone wanted her to live, but she gets spoilers for Game of Thrones, which everyone already knows. Uh, she gets squished by a giant... And then reincarnated when uh, the Ice King, you know, brings the Everybody dead back, back okay. from the dead to be in his army. Yeah, it was probably in those last seasons when nobody cared about anything. Yeah, because <laughs> you couldn't see anything in that episode anyway. So, but basically, she's playing Ellie. She's doing a good job of it. Um, the first episode is getting a ton of praise as being a, the best video game adaptation ever made. Uh, basically, just because they're sticking to the script. Like, obviously, it's not shot for shot um, what the video game is, but they're hitting all yeah. the beats. Even if, even if they do casting changes, like the daughter Sarah is no longer a blonde little white girl. She's a little black girl, uh, which is fine. I, I, she's a little mixed girl, yeah. I would say. I wouldn't say she's 100% black. I would say she's mixed. Yeah, well, there's no... There's no... I mean, but... there's, there's no race for mix on our fucking forms nowadays it's just black or two or more races so she would fall under being black what most people would call her i yeah she's clearly mixed but uh she's not obviously she's not a blonde little white girl like she's in the game but they actress 
and the writing does a real good job of making her very likable and a character that everybody likes and loves really quickly. Uh, even knowing uh, <laughs> that she's not the main uh, female protagonist in this in this uh, story at all. Um, but they did really good jobs recreating shots from the game that made it feel really well, really impactful shots. And the, and the big thing is their drive from the house uh, trying to get to safety when this outbreak happens uh, in it. Because Last of Us is basically kind of a zombie story, but not but they're not using zombies uh, in the traditional sense. So it's not like the Undead Rising or like a Resident mm-hmm. Evil thing. If you don't know, the Last of Us background is the zombie, the zombie creatures that end up being end up uh, taking over the world are uh, from a fungus. And it goes back to the fungus that like takes over ants and makes them like climb up trees so they get eaten by birds so they can spread their spores. That's basically what what it's coming what it comes down to. Yeah. No, no, no. It's yeah, it's a uh, fungal infection. And what I liked has um because the directors on here, uh, one director is the director of Chernobyl, and the other director is from the Naughty Dog Studios who did Last of Us. So you have those two powerhouses together to help guide this story and keep it as on point with the game, how it unfolds, while still being able to elaborate a little bit more here and there and give... Uh, some more background, especially for people who have never played the game and could easily come in, watch this, and still get hooked and still love this story. Yeah, and the changes that they made aren't like groundbreaking huge changes. It's changes in how some events fall. Like in in the game, there's a neighbor that breaks in the house while she's while she's home alone trying to figure out where her dad is in the middle of the night, and then Joel shoots him in the head and reunites with his daughter before they leave. Here, Joel leaves to go get his brother. She's wandering around, and she goes into the neighbor's house and sees the neighbor's uh, grandma, grandmother, who is stuck in a wheelchair now on her feet, basically chomping down on their caretakers. That's very different from the game, but it doesn't take away from mm. what was happening. Um, so it's not like the changes were made. I think I, they're not made to the way like, oh, we can't do this because this is uh, in a game. It's something impossible. It was. We're just changing the way the story's beat, beats hit a little bit differently. Probably because they had to do more to make the character more likable. So having her those interactions with the neighbors prior to the outbreak help you understand and like the character more mm-hmm. versus what they do in the video game where it's like, like kind of instantly. It's just like, bam. While here in the uh, show, by putting her, I think, in that danger more so than like, oh, someone broke into your house. She is in their house. She's a little bit trapped. She has to get out of the house. And I, it gives you kind of more of that sense of dread and fear for that character as well. Then all of a sudden like, ah, someone broke in the house and then bang, dead. Yeah. Um, but the scene that they really stuck true with recreating was when they like say they drive from their oh, house. Oh, in the car scene. Uh, yeah. In, to Austin where... That scene in the game is seen from the perspective of uh, Sarah, I believe. Yep. It's all through the perspective of, of the child, Sarah. Of, the ch- of his daughter in the very beginning of the game. So she's in the back seat looking 
in between the two front seats and you see them pass a house that's burnt, that's ablaze on the side of the highway, which is done exactly like it is in the game. Um, the when making, they, yeah, when, when they take the intersection. Yeah, take the uh, intersection to Austin, going on the highway, going off-road, like all that is like very much true to what you see in, uh, in the game. And then... You know, they go, they find their way to like another side town while they're trying to escape the military moving in and the outbreak and people going crazy and all that. Because during all that, it's not that everybody's infected. It's like you don't know who's infected and who's not. And people are just running around crazy and the military is showing up to possibly quarantine or deal with it. We have no idea because you're there from the perspective of Joel and her who basically knows absolutely nothing. He didn't see anything on the news, didn't see any of that because. It's all just speculation at this point. Yeah. They're just kind of guessing. As to why the grandma was infected, it's like, oh, because she goes into the city a lot. And uh, Sarah says, well, don't you guys go in the city? And they're like, oh, but we're okay. We're we're kind of outside. Yeah, her nervousness of wondering if they're infected, are we sick? Because she had gone to the city earlier that day to fix her dad's watch as a birthday gift for him. Had her concern, is did she get sick? Did she possibly give it to somebody? Whatever, because she went to the grandparents' the neighbor's house earlier that day. Uh, so she's, you know, like worried, am I sick? Did I, am I getting other people sick? Could I get them sick? It's kind of running through her head while all this craziness is going on. But anyway, fast forward 20 years. Uh, Which is also different from the game. Yeah. Yeah. The it, game's not, is it, it's, tw- it's like more around, I want to say 10 years. Yeah. Okay. I haven't played the game in a while, so <laughs> I don't remember what the time jump is, but there's a time jump where now Joel is by himself in Boston um, his brother had left Boston to go do, uh, do something. And so he's trying to put together an expedition to leave the city, which is quarantined to try and go out and find his brother. Um, I'm not going to mention Sarah. You find out, you watch it. It's obvious what's, what would happen, but it's not always how it happens, <clears throat> but he's out there. Um, I think the casting that they did for the fireflies, which is the rebel group trying, it's kind of fighting the government who is, like martial law dictating what people can and can't do, what they can and can't do for work. Uh, ration cards are handed out instead of money, that type of stuff. Kind of that type of dystopia that uh, the pe- people are living in, in populated areas. Joel lives in Boston as a smuggler, uh, working with whoever he uh, works with, not necessarily the Fireflies, but he has had workings with them because they know of him. Um, just doing his smuggling thing, basically. But his bro- apparently what happens is his brother left the city to do something for the Fireflies. Hasn't heard back from him in three weeks. So he's putting together an expedition to go out there and get there. That ends up leading him to Ellie and the Fireflies. Ellie is this girl that the Firefly group has basically uh, kidnapped and uh, held... And pr- chained up. Chained up, held prisoner. Um, they're giving her a bunch of medical tests because uh, what's the obvious thing is she is somebody who's been... Bitten by a zombie or... Oh, spoiler. By one of these zombies, but is not affected by it. So, <laughs> that's the premise of the game, is that Joel has to take this girl basically across the country to this other facility that the Fireflies have back west where they may be able to devise a cure for what's going on. The thing is, though, with the uh, totalitarian military community that's going on as soon as somebody is marked red as infected they get killed immediately there's no 
oh, well, let's see. It's been three weeks since you were bitten. Maybe we can figure out what's going on. No, it's, oh, you're red. You're going to, they're just going to kill you. Yep. <clears throat> so they want, need to smuggle her out to their people so they can get her wherever they need to go. The first episode basically kind of ends with Joel, his partner Tess, and uh, Ellie leaving the, the city. leaving the city to now go off into the zombie fungus infested world. See what's going on. I think the one difference that we haven't seen so far is we haven't seen him wear a gas mask. Yeah, because I remember in the game, whenever they came across areas where... Um, as the fungal infection uh, affects the person, they slowly become less and less mobile until they become like a pile of like like a growth type thing that goes on the walls and on the floors and just kind of spreads out and that uh, uh, spreads out spores from there. And in this episode, they come across one of these kind of uh, fungal walls, but they don't have any masks, which I thought was really bizarre. Because I remember in the game, you come into these areas where there's a fungal type thing on the wall. You have a mask on. But I would also say in the game, you, the logic would be, how do you know it's not too late when you when you know you have to put a mask on? Because it's not like there's a warning sign contamination or you have some type of device on you that says, oh, look radiation's happening. I better put this on so I'm protected. It's just, oh, there's zombies driving. Maybe we should put a mask on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, like, because in the game, it's not clear how they know when to put it on other than they see one of these things. And I guess the reason why you wouldn't have to put it on if you see one immediately would be that, okay, it's already done its... It, it's already produced its spores and shot them out into the air when it died. And it's been a while since that's happened, so you don't have to worry about it, maybe. I don't know, that's not explained, but that's one thing, like, in the game, like, you would wear a mask when you're going off into areas that are contaminated because this thing spreads by spores, and you can't see spores. You can't know that they're in the air, and nobody has technology on them to let them know where it's around, so they just wear masks quite a bit unless they, whenever they go into an enclosed area. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. If they continue sticking with the game, I think the show will still continue to be praised for it. The biggest thing right now is it gets compared to Halo, how terrible the Halo TV show was. Oh, boy. And anybody telling you that the Halo TV show is good is because they've never played the games. They don't know any of the lore, and they don't understand how badly they change stuff. Because the Halo TV show, like, by itself, one, I don't think it's a very good sci-fi story, but it's a very generic, boring sci-fi story that's basically garbage that <laughs> if you compare it to what the Halo game is supposed to be, some might say the game is very uh, pedestrian and very much like, yeah, it's a ripoff of Aliens, a ripoff of this, and a few other inspirations, which, yeah, that's what the game was inspired by. But the story was still cool and interesting, and you can still mm -hmm. tell that story, even though it's been told a million, di million different times, right? Um, but that's not what the Halo show is doing. Halo show made up their own BS, which isn't surprising because 343... Hates Halo. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. I mean, honestly... When you look at their entire back catalog of all the games that they've made, they have made garbage because it's mm -hmm. was advertised as this is a fan-made studio. These are fans of Halo, but they're fans who have no imagination. Their fourth game, they just took concepts from the books that were already written and uh, shoehorned them into the game universe. The other games that they worked on that were decent, but weren't decent until after a year that was fixed. Well, we won't say that. We'll say... 
Halo remaster the remastered one of Halo One um, was done really well, except for the terminals that they added. Because and that's not necessarily 100 their fault. They are forced to use app integration, which was a new feature on Xbox. So mm-hmm. they were like, "Hey, look, we can integrate an app." But like making a game stop to launch another program to play a cutscene is stupid because the game sometimes would just cut off. It's like, "All right, well, you quit the game, so you have to restart the level now." Yeah, which is really shitty and stupid idea, and they should have caught that bug or whatnot. But. The Master Chief Collection, that was a huge failure because it took over a year and a half for them to actually finally fix that game so it works the way it was expected. Halo 5 was a garbage bait-and-switch story, which they don't even continue to bother to tell you what happened. When you Halo Infinite, the conclusion of Halo 5 has already happened that they don't tell you what that is. Until the very end of Halo Infinite, they tell you what's kind of happened, but they don't explain why anything, uh, where the enemies come from and why they suddenly showed up there when they're from the Halo Wars universe. Um, I don't know. It's really <laughs> fucking stupid. 343 has no imagination. They're a shit studio, and everybody should look at that as like, this is why you don't hire fans to write fan fiction because fan fiction is garbage, and that's basically all that they wrote. And those people went on to, like, hey, let's do a TV show, but let's not do it like the games at all. Let's just make up our own sci fi story and use the same characters, which again, well, they just use, terrible. well, they only use the names of the characters. That's it. They didn't really use the characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Halsey is still a scientist. Yeah, but like, uh, Commander Captain Keys is not a captain. He's an only uh, only commander off, officer. His daughter Keys is not a captain of a spaceship. She's an uh, only scientist. It's like why? <laughs> like that makes no sense. The guy playing Chief makes no sense. Like none of it is none of it falls. Be Master Cheeks. Yeah, and he gets naked. He they have pellets in them, which is completely bullshit. Not from any of the lore. Like they throw they shit on the lore that was set up by Bungie, and they seem to be proud about that. And that's why like we uh, Kiki Wolfkill and like Bonnie Ross and all of them were terrible leaders. And I'm glad Bonnie Ross is gone. She should have been fired after the Master Chief uh, Collection debacle. Yeah. Um, her lasting as long as she did is striking. Baffling. And I'm not surprised that a lot of the layoffs right now are happening at 343 because that's a studio that is just absolute garbage that was given chance over chance over chance to fail upwards and they finally fell on their face again and were told to fuck off. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the, if the Halo show succeeds. I'm not watching season two of that garbage because <laughs> uh, unless he wakes up in the first episode, oh, wow, that was a dream, and we go back to our regular normal Halo story yeah, um, that, or they just go, all right, that was season one. Season two is completely different, and they do like a band of brothers type thing with the invasion of the Covenant or something. Yeah, there's still a lot of places they could have gone on that story that would not have been the same as the Halo story. Yeah, and then that would have been good, but what they did was terrible. Exactly. You could have taken, um, what was that one animated uh, Halo? Halo of Legends was with, yes. that, with that short, the one with all the animated shorts. Yeah, you could have taken one of those stories, and then you could have made a whole series out of it. Yeah, again, three, four, three, no imagination, just and people. just garbage writers and and creators because they are the epitome of what fan fiction is. So, like Fifty Shades of Grey, Grey how that's a fan fiction of a, of Twilight, which is already fucking kind of stupid. Well, that's what three four three is. That's, that's what three four three is. They made another. They've just created more garbage and crap. And whether or not the Halo game series goes anywhere after 
Infinite, we have no idea because, I mean, they've... Well, a lot of people are going, going on. Yeah, and, like, they put people in charge to help save some of their other projects, like fix Master Collection and whatnot, but it's still garbage in my mind. Like, they've taken the series story to a garbage place. If they, why were them, I just restart where Halo 4 begins and tell a proper story. Yeah. Um, cohesion between, you know, next two, three games. Yeah, because right now <laughs> they're just trying to make a game as a service, and they failed terribly at that because they couldn't keep up with content. They couldn't keep any of the promises that they did make. They had to go back and say, oh, we're not actually going to do that, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. And that's what finally got Bonnie Ross fired. Um, I know they said she resigned, but that's some BS. She got straight up fucking fired. Yeah. That is, we'll let you resign so you can keep your dignity, which I think... Keep face. I think big corporations and tech companies like that, they shouldn't let people do that out that way. It should be, yes, you spent lots of years working for us. You did some good. But, hey, you fucked up big time this time. Guess what? Your fuck up got you fired. Not, hey, we'll let you resign. Then you get your retirement pay and we'll be nice. About get like, your pension. Like, no, fuck you. You fucked up. <laughs> Go find another job. <laughs> So let's just steer away from Halo. And yeah. So Last of Us, the show. So brilliant. far, so good. Great. So far, so good. Hopefully it keeps up. If this first episode is any indication, I think we're in the safe and in the clear. And hopefully this breaks the live action uh, video game to film curse. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least, and hopefully this means when people go forward with, hey, we're going to take this video game and make it into a movie or a TV show, they just follow the story that made the video game popular. Yeah. Games, even if they're a first-person shooter, if they have a story with it, they're popular because of the story. Like, the one game franchise I would say is not popular because of its story is Doom. It's popular because of a mechanic. Yes. Halo was not popular because they invented the first-person shooter mechanic. It was because they added a compelling story and good music to it uh, and action sequence for it. That's how you got Call of Duty and everything else that became big action cinematics uh, interactive gameplay pieces. If you want to make that into a movie or a TV show, fine. Just follow the story that was good. You see it even in the game industry where, like, the Call of Duty games that are coming out now, they have no imagination. They're just redoing the Modern Warfare storyline, but they're <laughs> doing it a little bit differently so they can say that it's new. But it's basically beat for beat going to be Modern Warfare 1 to the no Russian of Modern Warfare 2 to World War 3, Modern Warfare 3. That's the same, the exact route they're going. They, just, they hinted at the no Russian thing at the last, end of the last game. Just... If you're going to do a TV show, do the same thing. Keep the same story. It was good for a reason. Don't try and reinvent it. Yep. It's loved for a reason. And you just don't fuck the pot. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird thing with writers nowadays is that, like, either all, they're all full. and the, Everybody has to do nostalgia. Like, even that 90s show is mm-hmm. a nostalgia thing for anybody who grew up in the 90s. Not oh, necessarily just talk about that 90s show, Ian? Well, it's it's <laughs> when I think about it, like it's good, it's funny and good and whatnot, but it's not great because like the 70s show was great because it was targeted for a generation who did not grow up in that gener- there and anybody who was in the 70s grew up in the 70s wasn't watching that 70s show. No. So, so there wasn't a whole lot of nostalgia things there so that you could point out, "Hey, look, there's that brand, there's this, there's that that you did in the 70s." It was just Kids in the 70s with the absence of today's technology living their lives. And then the 90s one is basically the same thing, 
but it has a lot of callbacks to stuff that we're nostalgic about, like the Orange Julius, the Savaros, the Sharper Image stores, the stuff like that that you see them interact with, which, okay, cool. You're lucky you have really good kid actors here who are pulling it off, pulling off the writing. Mm-hmm. Whereas other show, other stuff like they're trying, they're just trying to be nostalgia bombs, just being nostalgic. Like Willow yeah. does, does that a little bit, but they do it a little bit more, more gracefully. Where like the nostalgia for Willow kicks in when you start hearing the old Willow themes play for the characters. Yes, we hear Mad Markin's theme play. You hear Willow's theme start playing. Sasha's theme. Yeah, like. They all those characters have their own musical cues that play out in the movie, and you hear them being mixed in with the characters that are related to them in the new show. That's where the nostalgia kicks in more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. Where other stuff, it's just hey, let's we're just making stuff for for nostalgia reasons, and then you have groups of people who hate that shit who start going on tirades like. The fans of He-Man who went ape shit over the Revelations one saying this is garbage, there's a female protagonist. It's like, motherfucker, there was no story in He-Man. That show was made to sell a toy. You're not going to tell me there was some deep fucking story there yeah. that you were, that you were <laughs> appalled at them not following. Yeah, it's like He-Man was a uh, villain of the week type story. Or more like Skeletor villain plan of the week that, that constantly got f- foiled. What do you mean? Yeah, so it was like... The writers today, like, I feel like we're at a section where, like, all the talented writers are retired and they're done training in everybody. And the people <laughs> who are taking over have no original ideas. And if they do have original ideas, they're put on projects that need to stick to source material. And they're like, I don't want to do the source material. I want to write my own my own fantasy story with these characters. And it's like, well, you don't know the characters because you don't like the source material. So stop fucking, fucking it up. Yeah. <laughs> Hence The Witcher and why... Why everybody's leaving that show? Because after Henry Cavill leaves, nobody's going to want to watch it. Oh, yeah. That'll be an interesting mess to see, though. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like we're basically at that point where, where we watched The Black Culture the other day. And it's like, yeah, clearly this was made by all the veterans because it cost so much. But they had so little time to do it. Yep. So it was made, it was kind of a really shitty cartoon made very quickly for way too much money because they had to pay all the veterans. After that, all those people retired. They hired a bunch of new people who would work for way less and were happy to be able to work for Disney. So they put in all the extra crunch hours to make stuff good. And now we're at the point where, like, nobody wants to work hard and all the people who are talented are out of the business and all the people coming into the business are fucking idiots. Because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't trained properly and they don't understand shit. So we once in a while we get good, decent shows that work. I think the 90s show works better than that 80s show spinoff because the 80s show just wasn't funny. It was making mm-hmm. fun of the 80s more so. It was th- being too meta with the 80s. Yeah, rather than just living in the moment where this is being more living in the moment and the generation it's kind of targeted for, which is not necessarily mine, it's for the people, it's for the next generation who didn't live in the 90s. Just like the 70s show, I didn't live in the 70s, but I liked that show a lot because it was reminiscent of my childhood. Uh... And, like, kind of stories I heard growing up versus the 90s is perfect for those 2000 kids and older who, like, oh, I don't know what the 90s were. Here's a little bit of a view of it. It has enough nostalgia for us. Like, the only, the characters I like the best are the old characters, and which is Kitty and Red because they're hilarious. Yeah. And the new characters, they're just kind of generic stereotypes, but the kids acting are doing it very, very well. Agreed. All right. 
that covers everything we're going to talk about today. Like we said, we couldn't talk that much about the menu without spoiling it, but just go watch the menu. You'll enjoy it. I it's don't... on HBO. It's on uh, Video On Demand. Video On Demand. I think you can rent it pretty damn cheap. Just yeah, you... have a fun popcorn night with you it. You can find the movie just about everywhere. Watch it. It's good. You won't be disappointed. Um, Willow, the TV show on Disney Plus. If you're a fan of the original Willow series, you'll probably enjoy this. All the episodes are out, so you could do one big binge, which I would recommend to do. Yep. Um, go ahead and just watch the whole thing rather than watching it weekly as it comes out. I mean, see, that's how the episodes are coming out in the future. Uh, but watch it, see if you like it, and then continue on uh, with the next season with if they come out with another one. Um, I thought it was very good. Quinn thought it was good. We enjoyed it. Last of Us comes out on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern on HBO Max. It's basically HBO's next Game of Thrones show, really. Um, Every once in a while they have, like, they had Game of Thrones going on for a while. Like, forever, actually. And then they had (laughs) Westworld, and then they had um, Blood House of the Dragon, and now they have Last of Us. This is their next sci-fi fantasy type. Yeah, this show. is the next show that they're dumping all their money into. So, if they stay on track with what's going on, I think it'll be uh, people will really enjoy it. People who play the game will enjoy it. People who haven't will still enjoy it. Um, it'll do very well. Um, hopefully, they don't make Last of Us two into a, the TV show because well, that could be another topic on yeah. another day. <laughs> lot that's a kind of controversial story whether or not people like that or not. Um, but <clears throat> the survival in this new zombie world where. It's not traditional zombies, which means they can kind of go outside the box with the type of zombie monsters that they make. They don't have to stick to just a mindless human running around trying to eat your brains. They can make much different zombies without having to have convoluted explanations for why there's, you know, a hunter, a a boomer, or any of those things. It just depends on how the fungus grows. Yeah, so... And what stage it's at. It gives them a lot of creative freedom to change the zombie formula without having to have extra explanation as to why. So I'm interested to see where they go with there because there were a bunch of different types of zombies in the Last of Us game that you had to fight against. It'd be interesting yeah. to see where they go with this. Um, all right, but that's it for our show. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Uh, we'll probably be talking about some games, movies, or TVs. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about, and we'll... Try to do this more often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's New Year, so we'll be doing more and more of these as we go, okay? Yep. All right, thanks. Bye.